Welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. We're your hosts, Lauren and Adam. On this podcast, we help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of our traditional ways of thinking and have deconstructed the religious lenses we once saw the world through. From being in the CCM industry and purity culture to sex positivity and sacred sovereignty, it's been quite the ride. We bring on a wide variety of guests to hear their story and break down topics like religious trauma, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like spirituality, equality, and love. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Liz Milani. She is a co-owner and author at The Practice Co. She's creating space for holistic and embodied spirituality. Liz writes daily devotions through a faith lens to lead people to their truest self. Liz, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's um, great to be here. We're just honored to have you, honestly. Um, I, I think your work is beautiful um, in word, and also it's truly aesthetically pleasing. So um, <laughs> it's always, <laughs> always a plus. <laughs> always a plus. And um, yeah, I was really excited that you said yes, and you decided to be with us today. Ah, thank you. I think when you guys reached out, I was like, oh my God, I felt exactly the same way. I was like, <laughs> how do you even know who I am? I'm so excited to do this call with you. So, oh, amazing. Thank you. Of course. So uh, for those of you who may not know, um, yeah, so the Practice Co. is an app and there are daily devotions. So how long has the app been around? Um, the app has been around for, cheers seven or eight years now and it's my husband and I actually we just went on a big walk mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, this past hour and we've just been talking about the app the whole time oh. and just remembering how we got started and you know we're trying to figure out what's next for the app and all of that kind of thing but the app started about seven years ago when we were in a very different space so we were both pastors um, okay. on staff in a church when we started the app and we started it to really help people engage with their Bibles more during mm -hmm. the week rather than just on a Sunday morning. And so since we've started the app, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but we've deconstructed, we've quit those jobs at that church and the app now is, you know, we still call it a daily devotional, which we wrestle with because in this new space of spirituality, what's a daily devotion and right. who, you know, how do we create the messaging around that to make it clear to people what the app is. But it's basically daily encouragements in written form to help people come alive to their true selves and bring their spirituality into their everyday life. I love that so much. So I'm curious yeah. because we get this question all the time because it's not often that you see a couple deconstruct their faith or go through such a fundamental yeah. change to who they are and come out the other side happier and more connected is how has that been for you guys it's been wild <laughs> yeah. i mean it's we have deconstructed together mm. but it was and i'm sure you guys do <laughs> this is like but separately so yeah. um and we we fell into it 
through a lot of trauma. We went through two very different traumatic seasons in a church setting. Mm. And the last one, it, it wasn't something that we chose to do. Nobody, I don't think, really chooses their deconstruction in a way. Like I don't think somebody wakes yeah. up and they go, oh, you know what, today I'm just going to <laughs> unravel everything I've ever believed <laughs> and face my life on and made decisions on and it's going to be a good time. So we kind of got thrust into it and he went one path and I went another path. And I think early on we had to have that conversation with each other about how to stay open with each other, how to let the other person, and I mean, it's a continual conversation, how to let the other person process in the way that is right to them yeah. without being threatened personally by it yourself. Yeah. Um, but it's been, it's been interesting for sure. Yeah. I mean, and if you don't mind, you said you guys went on different paths where, yeah. what are those paths for you? Do you still align with the Christian faith? Because a lot of your devotions kind of have that, the almost like a Christian theme, but it's not Christian. Yeah. Is that where you still land? <laughs> it is. Like I, I grew up a pastor's kid. My parents became Christians when I was like three years old. Wow. So this faith tradition is baked into my, my bones um, in a sense. And so I've unraveled a lot of the toxicity around church culture. And in doing that, I have fallen in love with this incredible tradition I didn't know was lying underneath it mm. in a lot of, yeah. you know, the Christian principles and rituals and, and things like that. I mean, I'm very loose with the term Christian these days. If people want to call me that, great. If people don't think I'm that, I don't care. I just love the way that the, even the sacred text or the biblical text has come mm. alive in a different way to me now. And I don't have to, I feel really comfortable with the idea of I don't have to throw everything out. I'm engaging with it in a different way that is making me come alive and I feel good. I feel healthy. I feel challenged. I feel in life rather than watching on from the sidelines using right. this new approach with the Christian tradition. Yeah. Uh, where Jesse, my husband, he, like, <laughs> when we both quit um, our roles on staff, he just overnight pretty much became an atheist yeah. <laughs> straight yeah. away. And for about six months, he really wrestled with everything that we'd been through in such mm. a way that it was like, I'm done. I can't believe in it. And I think in a way, you know, he became a Christian when he was in his early 20s. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if he felt had a different relationship with it, but that was his path. And then I never fully went into atheism, but I learned to approach it from a different way. Jesse is spiritual now. Yeah. Like he's sort of, um, but definitely would not call himself a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> but it changes. And I think that's the great thing about it is we don't have to live under, oh, I'm a Christian today. Oh, mm. I'm not a Christian today. Right. We can just allow each other to discover life wherever we find it, which may sound really broad to some people. <laughs> Or dangerous, but I just think it's—I just think it's beautiful. I think so too. I think so too. Do you feel like the the you said the app got started and then you kind of deconstructed? Was there a season with the app where your devotions really reflected a more deconstruction phase? And did do you think your um, 
the readers noticed did or was there a fallout of some people who had the app was there any sort of like loss in that or did it just kind of seemingly evolve it sort of all flowed together Mm -hmm. um the way that the app was really helpful to me during this season when we were very much actively deconstructing. So we're not talking about where we are now because mm-hmm. um, we left that church seven or eight years ago, <laughs> literally just after <laughs> we started the app. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, we've been, we went through that really sort of violent um, onion, onion layer peeling sort of, you know, yeah. phase of deconstruction. And the app was fantastic for me because it helped me process a lot of what I was working through, but I never, you know, um, I've never written anything that I didn't believe in, but I didn't like vomit up all of my shit in the app for people to have to process themselves. So the app was a really good way for me to ask some questions, to come at things a different way, to really journey down this lane of deconstructing and finding meaning in faith in different ways and the audience some people and this is what I I actually really love working this way some people picked up on it some people didn't we still have this kind of um turnover of audience or Mm. you know community and I love that I think if the app can serve you in for a short amount of time in any way that it does but then it's time for you to move on that's fantastic but I think people come and they hook onto it wherever they do. And so I've got people who follow me who are still very (laughs) evangelical and, um, you know, church going and all of that. And they hook in where they want to. And then I've got, you know, atheists following me or, you know, spiritual people who've never identified as Christian following me and they hook in where they want to as well. So I love that the app kind of, or the way that the work kind of lives that way. It doesn't demand that you believe a certain way or adhere to a certain type of believing for you to connect to it and deconstructing and having to do do that while because the app is is my job as well Mm. and so having to write in a way that I could be true to myself and keep my job (laughs) (laughs) isn't that always the challenge it's always the challenge but it was it was actually really healthy for me because it helped separate me from that well I've got a right to please people and I've got a right to this dualistic mindset of either you're in or you're out you're either with me or you're against me you're Mm -hmm. either endorsing my journey or you're not and I literally just can't it really taught me to come to a place where I write what I feel led to write and then I gift it out and whoever takes it and however they take it is not my responsibility that's theirs and um yeah that's how we yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's great. <laughs> I, I love that. It's like yeah. it's so similar to what the podcast has been to us. It's like a space where I we've been imagine. able to learn so much and have so many conversations mm-hmm. with people and like and be challenged by the people that are in our community, you know? Like I'm sure you yeah. had the same thing where uh, as things were evolving and as things were changing, it, there were a lot of people that wanted to open up conversation about what those changes were and and maybe yes. you know, maybe there's some pushback as I think everybody in every walk of life will get pushed back when they change or when they question something that's been so present in, in their life and their philosophy and in their circles. And, and so for us, it was just like, we were Mm -hmm. finally able to just, it almost allowed us space to 
to question more things, especially with Lauren coming from the Christian uh, music world, and that was where her following and fan base was from. To be able mm. to sit in in a place and just kind of ask people questions rather than prescribe some sort of theology or or try to dictate or be determinative on what it is that the world is supposed to be was was very freeing and allowed for more conversation than condemnation in the in the DMs. And now, granted, there was plenty of people <laughs> also giving us a really hard time in the yeah. DMs, but but like I feel like having a place to to verbalize your questions and concerns that's a little bit disconnected from yourself and it's not quite so mm. personal. It doesn't have to be a conversation every time. Mm. Yeah. It's super good for us. Yeah. Do you feel oh, it's it's amazing. Do you mm. feel do you feel like the short form content of it is helpful too? So you're able to kind of just like do things in spurts or do you write several days and seasons of devotions all at once and then like, how does that work for you as a writer? Yeah, the short form content works really, really great for that. But basically what I do is I, I write a series at a time, so maybe seven days worth of mm. content, and each piece goes for about one to two pages long. So it's it's short, but it's long. It's that really great middle of you don't have to go, <laughs> you're not you know, going deep into theological training or something every time you're <laughs> writing and you're not having to prove everything. And um, what am I trying to say? You're not trying to write a thesis every right. time you write, right. write a series. Uh, so it allows me to live in that beautiful space of light, um, you know, of lightness, of encouragement, of challenge without being heavy all the time. Yeah, well, um, it's like, it seems like, from what you're saying about your journey with deconstruction and with the content that you put out, did you have, did you have a moment where you wanted to disconnect from a lot of the like Christian verbiage? Because I feel like you offer people such an mm. amazing space where, where it's almost like you immediately reclaimed the Christian lens that you saw the world through, even though you were moving away from the the toxic spaces that came with that. Mm. Yeah. Oh God. I'm so pumped that you noticed. <laughs> I work really hard. Like we often say to each other, if we have to say that we're changing the language, we're not doing it right. Like we would rather just change the language and let it be. And I think one of the really practical ways I can talk about that is I haven't used pronouns for God for about three or four years in the app so mm. and even when I share a bible verse that has a pronoun in it I freaking change it yep. <laughs> and people the people who notice notice and they 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 love it and it's sort of it's not an inside joke but it's like an inside joke like they get it yeah. and other people just don't even notice but it's been a very deliberate and I know you guys would know what this is like too been very deliberate not to use Christian jargon yeah. Um, and a lot of that has been, it's so triggering for me. It's so triggering for me yeah. to use it myself. I mean, you know, you talk about things like the kingdom of God or all the very violent and warlike terms mm. that Christianity uses. But growing up, I didn't realize how violent and destructive they right. were. Uh, but being a pastor and using those phrases and then realizing what they meant and then deconstructing, going, I can't believe I was okay with using all of this <laughs> verbiage all the time. And then making very deliberate choices 
not to use the language, but like some people pick it up, some people don't, to which I say whatever. But for me, it's really healing, like you said, to reclaim some of those ancient ideas and practices. It's not so triggering. It's sort of more you can clear the landscape and just let it be what it is without using all that loaded language around it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I personally love it because it's not, it's something um, recognizable, like a devotion is recognizable to me as someone who's coming from a Christian background. Yeah. Um, and it's something, and, and, and I like, I like the option. I like having the option to where it's like, I recognize this, uh, the format of this, but yet I'm not, I'm not concerned that I'm going to be I mean, given, yeah, toxic theology through this devotion or through this spiritual mm. practice. And um, actually, speaking of that, it, it, I actually, it made me think of your, when I was saying your bio earlier, you create space for holistic and embodied spirituality. That's the words um, that that you mm. have, that you gave me. And so mm. I'm curious what, what that looks like. Um, it could look like for anyone, uh, but also what does that look like for you, a holistic and embodied spirituality. Yeah, so for me, those two things are really important. Growing up, the way that I grew up, the way that our faith tradition was outworked within the church was very much spirituality was about taking you outside of your body. So your body was bad, your body was evil. I mean, you guys have had this scripture thrown at you, you know, your thoughts are evil, you can't trust your heart. What's that scripture that says your heart is wicked beyond all else? Your heart is deceitful above all else. That's it. I hate that one. (laughs) I hate that one too. And, you know, I so grew up believing that everything good was outside of myself. Yes. And so, you know, listening to sermons at church, what like moments in worship with Christian music, um, all of that was about taking me to a more holy place than where I currently was Mm -hmm. and who I currently was. And I mean, I grew up in um, a Pentecostal evangelical setting in Australia where it was all, you know, name it and claim it, word of faith type stuff. If you did something great, it was all about Jesus and not about me at all. And at the same time, being a pastor's kid and then being a pastor myself, I was killing my body (laughs) to do this work for the ministry that told me that my body was bad, that my spirit was bad, that my heart was bad, that without Jesus, I was nothing, that I couldn't do anything good apart from him. And, you know, the the most pushback I get in my work is about that, is people saying, no, you're not good. No, your heart isn't good. You can't trust yourself. You won't find God within you. And I'm like, do you read the Bible that you claim to read? <laughs> because all through the scripture is this, is this beautiful embodied spirituality. I mean, what else is the story of the incarnation of Jesus coming to earth as a human being if it isn't the big old yes tick to humans being freaking amazing? Right. And so I like that holistic embodied Um, perspective for me or lens for me is bringing that sense of spirituality back into my body Mm. and reclaiming the holiness of who I am my from my cells to the very practical nature of being a body (laughs) that does all the things that it does to the very nuanced layers of my of my personality and my story and reclaiming those things and I think for other for people depending on who they are and where they live and how, you know, how they show up in the world, being embodied and having a holistic spirituality could look different for everybody. 
Um, for me, meditation is a huge part of that. Mm. Moving my body is a huge part of that. Looking at pain a different way is a huge part of that. And a lot of the catalyst of this kind of thinking for me was after we quit church and we deconstructed, I <laughs> fell into this season of chronic illness mm. and wow. trying to get well in my body was, you know, was a spiritual endeavor. It turned out to be a spiritual endeavor. And, um, and that could, it kind of was a big catalyst in reclaiming my holy sense of self as yeah. well. Wow. Yeah. I, I I love that. Actually, speaking of meditation, uh, we had someone write in, um, you know, we asked those questions on Instagram. (laughs) We said, send in any questions or any comments you have for Liz. And someone said, um, it's directed at you. It says, can you please continue, uh, ending each devotion day with a meditation? It's so powerful. So obviously it's helping others as well. Um, and my, my question was, I was going to ask you if there's, as a writer, as somebody who is pouring out and, and, and facilitating and helping other people with their spiritual lives or um, their spiritual practice, if there were specific ways that you fill back up. Um, and I mean, mm. I don't know if you use your own devotions or if you use others or if <laughs> that's just not part of your routine or if it is. Um, but yeah, you mentioned meditation. Um, has that been something that you've you've added in since deconstructing or did you ever meditate like beforehand? Um, or is that like a newer practice for you? It's a newer practice for me. And I mean, even when we were pastors in church and growing up, meditation was always seen as an evil thing. It was like an Eastern religious thing. If you meditate, um, that's your, you're taking away from your prayer life, you know, and it's, um, evil, it's going to lead you down the wrong path. And, you know, people were very worried about me when I started meditating and I got so many DMs and, you know, <laughs> people pulling me aside, like, you should be praying, not meditating. And I'm like, it's the same thing. Um, well, for me, it's become the same thing. When you mm. deconstruct your idea of prayer, I think prayer is just connecting. Yeah. It's just jumping into that flow of oneness. And meditation is a great way for me to do that. I have anxiety. <laughs> I've had, um, you know, bouts of depression before and all sorts of things. And so being a highly empathetic, sensitive, sensory person, meditation is something that really helps me get into my body, really helps me connect into that sense of flow and oneness. Um, and I have a little saying that I do and a little kind of practice that I do throughout the day, which is just, hand on my heart, feet on the ground, here as I am. And that really Mm -hmm. helps bring me back into that space of whatever can be happening and whatever's going on, it just brings me back to centre and and helps me breathe. Um, Yeah, so meditation is definitely something we started after deconstructing because prayer was just like a a big list of things we wanted God to do. Right. And now meditation is a way to connect in and allow that flow of energy that God is, that love is to to take up space in your life yeah. is, is kind of how I see it. Of course. I mean, it kind of yeah. just to jump back to what you were saying earlier, I mean, it, it ties into that whole meditation thing, but, but understanding mm. that you are good, that like your intuition is, is powerful and that that is something that you can be led by. That's, that's amazing. I mean, and clearly you and Jesse both followed your intuition into, into what it is that you needed out of, what embodiment was and what your connection to spirituality was. And, and, yeah. and 
when we were when we were first deconstructing, one of our our biggest challenges was just kind of getting past uh, the verbiage and the language barrier that happens mm. when you kind of you kind of lose your a whole language, a whole you the did. way that you speak <laughs> about your faith and the way that you speak about mm. the world. I mean, I know you said that there's some stuff that that was triggering for you and that Jesse kind of just went full blown atheist right away. Was there Yeah. <laughs> what what was what was the the moment that you were able to start reclaiming your language? Because I I, I mean I'm sure there's yeah. there's a journey that that's public and then there's a all of the other things that happen that that um lead you down that path. And and did you guys have did you guys have that language, that relanguaging of your lives and of the way that you spoke yeah. about the world and your relationship or, or how did that, how did mm. that go for you when you both kind of split in different, different, uh, speeds of, of yeah. changing and shifting? I think it's a slow, been a slow reclaim. Uh, and even the, this is what the, our work has been really great for is that it actually gives us time and space to wrestle that out and to tackle a different thing, you know, as, as often as we want, um, in a sense. So for me, I remember about a year into deconstructing, I finally got to the place where I could separate my church experiences and the toxic theology that I had been under or could begin to separate those things from my own sense of being connected to something that is both in me and beyond me. And that was a really big moment for me because when we first deconstructed, and I mean, I'm so embarrassed to admit it, but like (laughs) I grew up a pastor's kid. I idolized and I could name drop, but I hate name dropping, but I (laughs) idolized all these famous Christians, you know, and I wanted to speak on all of these platforms and Mm. I wanted to be a a pastor and a preacher and a, a book writer and, and, you know, through all these long and meandering ways, we got to touch a little bit of that life. And (laughs) it was like looking behind the curtain and just seeing the biggest shit show you could (laughs) never have believed was there. (laughs) And um, so I grew up idolizing this system, really. I realized that I didn't grow up wanting to be connected to God. I was sold Mm. a system of power. And when I was able to glimpse that and articulate that and began to see it, I could then start reclaiming language, but also practices of spirituality that helped me feel connected. And like I said earlier, I think a lot of um, spirituality is about a lot of Christian church tradition Mm -hmm. has been about taking people outside of their bodies. Yeah and church services and and theology tends to be about making everything other than who you are holy and giving you this whole big list of things to do and and be to become holy, to become a good Christian soldier. Then once you can deconstruct that list and realize, oh, no, I'm good enough already, it really allows you to connect into the spirit of oneness that is there at all times, no matter what box you tick, no matter what spiritual practice you engage in, no matter Mm. whether you're good or you're bad or you've failed or you've succeeded, you can find that place within yourself where you can feel at one with who you are finally. Because I think so many people in, in faith circles try to live up to something right? rather than just showing up and bringing their full selves to the world. So once I could let go of trying to be who I thought I needed to be to please God and to please people, 
then I could actually figure out who I was and how I connected in to the divine in me and around me. I don't know if that helps at all. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah it, there was definitely a moment. Mm. Yeah. I mean, was there a time with your family? I mean, being a pastor's kid, right? Like, did yeah. they did they see your unraveling or is it has it been yes. a, a more seamless than that? <laughs> well, interestingly, one of, one of the traumatic experiences that we went through was my dad was the senior pastor of our church and we worked for him and we found out that he was living a double life. And so it was, you know, yeah, it was, it was pretty full on. And Mm. we found out, I mean, we knew for a few years before everything came out that something wasn't right. Mm. Um, And we kept trying to figure it out. We kept trying to come to it, but it came out eventually that he was living a double life. And then overnight, my parents lost their jobs. I mean, my mum was innocent in the whole thing and she lost her job. They both lost their jobs as pastors, the way that we were handled um, from you know, the church powers that be was very eye-opening and interesting Mm. and a catalyst, you know, for change in our own lives. I mean, we didn't quit church after that, (laughs) funnily (laughs) enough, but we hung on for a few more years, but definitely the cracks started showing there. So Mm. I no longer have a relationship with my dad. I don't speak to him and that's been a very conscious choice for me to make for my own health and well-being um and of course I'm open to things changing but for now that's a a boundary that I've put in place in my own life and my mom is lovely she freaks out (laughs) because she wants me to be safe (laughs) and she wants me to be loved and um she doesn't want me to face any you know vitriol and sometimes she sees things on the internet and she's like calls me up and she's like you really shouldn't say that (laughs) but she only says it out of you know wanting to wanting me to be safe and happy so when yeah when you move out of those kind of spaces i mean you do lose a lot of that community have you have you found community because like for lauren and i recently i feel like we've we've kind of rebounded into this place of like we wanted to build community for others and now we're seeing that there's community for us and we're finding friendships through a lot of the conversations that we're having have you been able to establish relationship and community in the same kind of church way through the app or through conversations you've been having, or is that still, or do you still feel like you're just kind of building space for others to find community? I think we're in a very similar space to you guys from what you just said. Um, I'm not really interested in replicating a church type of community, but we've got a great friend group and then connecting more, like connecting with people on the internet has been so powerful for us. Yes. And remember when we were first deconstructing, it was such a long time ago in the, in terms of the internet yeah. <laughs> and information, we felt so alone and we questioned if we were, are we people gone wrong? Are we idiots? Are we going to go straight to hell? You know, are we all alone in the world? And we found the first season of the Liturgist podcast. Mm. And for a long yeah. time, um, you know, that was back way back when it was very, very beginning um, that's where we found a sense of we're not alone in the world. And from then, you know, connecting with people on the internet on in a similar journey has been really, really powerful because we did lose a lot of our church friends, but then a lot of our church friends quit as well. Right. <laughs> so 
um, they've come on the journey a little bit with us, but like in their own way and doing their own thing, but finding people who work in this space like you guys do and like mm. we do and connecting um, has been invaluable for us. Yeah. 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 And you've spoken a lot. I mean, we've spoken a lot about church and actually one of the the questions that was sent in was actually about church um, and yeah. your view. They're asking, what is your view <laughs> on how the church should be concerning or concerned about social justice issues? Uh, do you think the church should speak up or not? Basically, I think is what they're asking. Oh, well, the short answer is yes. I mean, what else is the church for? Right. Um, but then I think to that can be a really complicated mm-hmm. question because it depends on the political view of the church. Right. <laughs> so it depends on what I social issues to... they're standing for. <laughs> exactly. Um, but then I think to it, yeah, yes, I think the church absolutely should be opening themselves up to at least schooling themselves on issues that their community and their country and the world are facing. And I think there's a huge disconnect, Like, there's a whole lot of work that's got to be done before I think churches can do this work healthily. Cause I think, um, toxic forms of missionary have, have been a, you know, the church's poor attempt at having a good look at social justice mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. And so they've got to fill in a whole heap of gaps of what are you really here for? What's the church's calling? What is it that the church wants to achieve? Most churches that I've come into contact with, they want bums on seats and they want shows on the internet. Right. Not a whole lot of churches. They say they want to help their community, mm-hmm. but they're not even listening to their community about what their mm. community needs. And so a lot of the times I find when church tries to tackle social justice issues, they're doing it on their own terms. They're very, very colonial about it. They're mm-hmm. assuming that they know the answer. They're assuming that they know the problem. And then they patch together a poor solution based on a lack of resources and volunteers. And really, they're not meeting that gap at all. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of work to be done when it comes to a church showing up in their community to meet their community's issues. Or do we even allow space for those issues to live within the church, like maybe the church's job isn't to fix all the problems of the world. Maybe the church's job is to hold space for people who are hurting and are in pain and to create healthy um, pathways for people to learn and to become and to heal. So I think there's a lot to be said about that. Short answer, yes. Yeah. Long answer, there's just a shit ton of work to do. I think for a lot of churches to do that effectively. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously you have a a, a connection to your following. That's, that's pretty active. Like you're kind of, uh, you're very like upfront with them and you're very, your, your interactions are are close to when, from what it seems when you're writing things, when you're feeling things, it's, it's, it's pretty direct to viewer. And yes. so does that, do, do you feel like you get a chance to, to interface with this, those kind of issues, like the, the things that are happening in the world, or do you feel like you have the obligation to kind of uh, address those in a different way so that it doesn't feel like, like, like a church trying to address certain things, like claiming certain yeah. um, justice issues that, that you feel like that you should be acting on or that you shouldn't be acting on, or do you mm. not want to impose that on the people that you're, you're, um, work, working with, inspiring, communicating with, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's such a good question because there is definitely a part of me that doesn't want to be that 
figurehead that's telling people yeah, <laughs> what to right. believe and what they should do. That's part of what I grew to really hate about my church experience was that I had no choice. I had to adopt the uh, the values of the system to fit in and to belong. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm more interested in doing, I mean, I have I have political views and I'm much more active in speaking about those on my personal page mm-hmm. than I am on the practice co. Because right. I'd rather use the practice co. I mean, I definitely speak up about stuff, but I really want to help people dig beneath the layers of their biases because I think one of the biggest problems that we face is is our inability to learn. Right. Like I think people think that they know the truth on either side of an issue and um, to actually get people to, and it all ties together for me too. I think if people believed in their own goodness and their own sense of self Mm. and they felt like they belonged, then they would be free to go, oh, I don't have to be right about this issue to belong here, to be loved here. I can actually be free to be wrong. I can be free to learn. I can be free to listen to somebody who I don't understand so that I can understand because my belonging isn't dependent on being right and being certain. My belonging is unquestioned. So I can explore these things because what I find is, you know, people are just, they need to be right for their own sense of belonging, for their own sense of certainty and being sure that they're going to go to heaven or that they're a good Mm -hmm. person or that they're going to be accepted. But if we could remove that, then I think we could really get some good work done in um, equality, whether it be um, racial, gender, equality for minorities, LGBTQ, people, like all of those different things. If we could just set aside this whole, um, you know, there's not enough to go around, so Mm. I've got to grab my piece of the pie. Yeah, scarcity (laughs) mindset. And I I feel like, I, I mean, I have these conversations with family with friends and and growing up super conservative and and evangelical christian i as i'm sure you kind of have had the experience of it's it's yeah. always I, like it's so hard to not approach that conversation feeling like i also i have ascended to some level of certainty on the other side of <laughs> of of change and of social realization like that's such a i, I don't want to be a church i don't want to be determinative in that kind of way like and, and I yeah. feel like it pushes me into that pushes me more into a space of agnosticism because I just I'm I'm too yeah. <laughs> I'm too uh, like say la vie let the let everybody believe what they will and everybody can be right in their own world and everybody's their own hero <laughs> and all of that yes. to like want to claim atheism or Christianity or Buddhism or anything like that I'm just I I know like ah it's it's so when people want something so specific out of you and and you get pulled mm-hmm. into these places of you seem to align with X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And so then there becomes mm-hmm. these expectations for you to stand with these things where it's like yeah. the last thing that you're trying to do is tell people how to how to live because that's what you're trying to break away from. Yeah, And Dog, those kind yeah. of conversations can be so challenging. Mm. There's a few things like um, I want LGBTQ people to feel safe in our space. So I am very unaccepting of vitriolic comments on our feed. Um, I'm, you know, we actively try to create a safe and affirming place for them to practice their spirituality, for people to practice their spirituality, no matter what 
um, their sexual orientation or whatever it is. We we just want that to be a safe place, and and then we try to, you know, be open to correction and learning around a whole number of different things um, that we will speak up about. But for the most part, I don't know how to say this without sounding wishy-washy, but I don't <laughs> want to be, we work really hard at trying not to be a stake in the ground kind of community, like yeah. a, um, you have to think this to belong here. Yeah. Because I think I want, obviously there are things that I just think are true. <laughs> Yeah, right. and there are things that I will die for <laughs> because I think that they're right. Right. Um, and we do we do speak about those things, but then bridging that gap to help bring people on the journey and allowing people time and space to change—that's such a difficult and nuanced thing. It really. I, is. I just don't. We. Yeah, because obviously, I think there are some things that you know aren't right in the world and that need to be spe- spoken up about. And we try to join in on that conversation as well. But then we also want to create pathways for people to learn and to discover and to become. And I don't think we get it right a lot of the time, but hopefully we're getting it more and more right. Um, we get it right most of the time. That's and that's, that's uh, what we do all right. <laughs> we do all right. I think the openness to it is what's important. And I think that's what Absolutely. I'm trying to say. A lot of these conversations, can be really closed down. And I think we're in a unique position where, you know, we don't have a lot. um, We can allow space for these conversations to happen in our place because we're not suffering from the trauma of a lot of them. So privately we have that, um, we have, we can create that space privately for people to question. Like I would much rather someone come to me and ask me why I can, you know, why I believe gay people should be allowed to get married and right. do all of that rather than them go and attack somebody who suffered a lot of trauma yes. in their lives. Absolutely. Well, that's like, um, I feel like that's a responsibility of an ally is to be able yeah. to be able to bear some of the really harsh language and obviously correct yeah. people because the, the logical fallacy of tolerating intolerance is, is exactly that. Ugh. Like you can't, yeah. you can't tolerate yeah. intolerance. That's just no, there's, there's a point where you you do have to have a stake in the ground in that sort of capacity, but like, yes, but but that kind of thing tell, is our though, responsibility. Yeah. yeah, I reckon you can always tell, and you guys would have come up against this in your work too. But you can always tell when someone's DMing you or commenting, and they're genuine. Yeah, they've got an openness in their heart when they they're actually genuinely asking a question. And then you can tell <laughs> when they're commenting and DMing and they have absolutely no um, generosity in their question or their comment at all. They're just trying to one-up you with what they think is right. And they're trying to school you. They're trying to bring you back into line. You can always tell. And I want to make sure that we're a space for people who have genuine questions can DM us privately. I don't want to work out some of the stuff um, in comments, although sometimes that can be good, but where they can feel like they can, we want to change what we believe because we know it's not right, but we're not quite sure how to get there. Yeah. So I'm really happy to hold that space for people as long as they're willing to go on the journey. Yeah. Yeah. And something that keeps like circulating in my mind and, and it has been for a little while. So I just kind of want, I wanted to share it. Um, and it keeps going through my head, even in this conversation is, uh, the the verse that says, "Be still and know that I am God." I haven't shared this yeah. even with Adam, but there, <laughs> for some reason, that verse has come up a lot. It 
well, actually, I know why. My my mother, who is still very much religious, she gave me, um, yeah. what is that for Easter? She gave mm-hmm. me a little uh, a teaspoon thing, and it has be still in it, like the word be still, yeah. or the words be still. Um, and I keep just, like, repeating it. And for me, my, my kind of my religious, um, or I guess my faith beliefs are, are more on the side of, like, I am have God within therefore I am God and I see God in you and like that's that's more of Mm -hmm. where I kind of stand and so whenever I'm repeating that verse or it just goes on in my head back and forth repeating constantly I just say to myself like be still and know that I am God (laughs) be still and know that I am God and I am good is I don't know I I added that to the verse but um, Mm -hmm. that's been my embodiment practice lately is be still and know that I am God, I have God within, and I am good. Um, and I, and <laughs> it's those moments when I feel like a verse was reborn for me, um, like a Bible verse is reborn for me, that one, I know I'm healing in ways that I, I didn't know like I could um, from a lot of my religious trauma. But also, I it gives me faith that there whatever god out there or universal energy and love or what you know whatever you want to call it um i think there is truth to the um i guess that that truth that universal love showing up in everybody's life whether they're coming from a christian background or not for me i do Mm -hmm. come from a christian background and so those little pieces that of memories that i have from verses are starting to one by one be kind of healed and not all of them. Like I said, I, I hate the verse, the heart is deceitful above all else. I don't think I'll ever like that one. Um, so, and I've been able to heal in ways that I, I'm able to say I, I hate a verse and then I love a verse and that's okay too. Um, has there been those moments for you? Have you had um, like either Bible verses or like a Christian tradition besides devotionals um, that you yeah. still implement into your life? Obviously you're not going to a church, but um, do you still resonate with Jesus? Is that still a part of your spiritual belief or, um, or, or no? Hey everyone. Want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, in very similar ways that you're describing there. I still, look, I love Jesus. He's a great guy. <laughs> um, he said some really great things. My perspective about who Jesus was um, has been very influenced by Richard Raw's work. Yeah. So he talks about, and other theologians and scholars do, about the Christ energy mm-hmm. and how Jesus was, Jesus was not the Christ. Jesus was a manifestation of the Christ energy. Right. And the Christ was here in the beginning. Um, it's here now and it will be here in the future. And yeah. so it, it's a much more open, people freak out when you talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, this is actually what you, this is what you believe. And if you dig into it, this is what the scriptures actually Same. say right? and talk about that Jesus wasn't up in heaven and then, he came down, he left heaven and then came down to earth and then has gone back to heaven. <laughs> like that's such a dualistic and simple way of saying it. But when you really deconstruct your idea of what the Bible is, I think you can mm. allow the stories within the Bible 
to be what they are. And this is often the other thing that I get pushed back uh, about in my work is that the Bible doesn't say that or the Bible is the truth. So we've got to come back to the Bible. And I'm like, really what's happening here is a, a difference of a difference of opinion on the way that we see the Bible. And so I don't believe that the Bible is inerrant. I don't believe mm. that God whispered into all the author's ears exactly what to write <laughs> down or that the Holy Spirit held onto hands as they penned it. You know, I think the Bible and its collection of stories is a human um, wrestling with what is going on here. Who are we? Why are we here? What is happening? What got this whole thing started and where are we going? And when you can kind of disengage from an I like using the Bible as an idol itself, calling mm, it God itself mm-hmm. and looking at those scriptures because it doesn't work. Like Mm-mm. I scratch my head now that I, for so many years, I was like, yes, the Bible is completely infallible. It's, it's just not even correct. Right. That it's infallible. <laughs> right. There's so many inconsistencies <laughs> in it. It's, it doubles back on itself all the time. In a lot of the stories, it's completely inhumane. And we are, you know, I think now the way that I see the Bible now is I read some of the stories that I used to think were oh, God wants you to live this way and, and do these things. And I think actually this story is showing us how not to live mm-hmm. and how not to do things. But if we go back to that scripture, I really wanted to quickly touch on it, that one about how the heart is deceitful yeah. above all else. Mm. Well, one of the ways, one of the things that I love doing with the Bible now is I lean on a lot of um Jewish interpretation mm-hmm. of the Old and New Testament and probably more like from a from a Kabbalist perspective. Yeah. Um, and you've kind of got to disassociate from the, the you know, celebrity Kabbalism that was going on <laughs> in the media maybe 20 years ago. Right. The Kabbalist tradition is the Jewish mystical tradition. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it has such a beautiful way of unraveling some of those verses. So that word deceitful originally um, didn't mean wicked or evil or anything like that, anything that we've been told that believes. That word deceitful in the original Hebrew is the word deep. Mm. It means deep. It was the same word that they used to describe the ocean or the mm. sky, wow. something that's, um, you know, unfathomable. Yeah. It's so mysterious and so deep. And so what that verse is actually saying is the heart is deep. Who can know it? Like the end of that verse says, who can know it? The heart is deep above all things. Who can know it? And wow. I think for me, that's the huge permission to spend your life discovering who you are. Yeah. What is at the heart of me? And who am I in this season? Because who I was before kids is different to who I am now with kids. And who I was at church is different to who I am now because my heart is deep and it's unfathomable. Oh. And so we get to spend our time exploring it. <laughs> Look at that. I, you, I'm a changed woman. I I said I was always going to hate that verse. Now look at me. That's beautiful. I love that so much. It's beautiful. I like taking something. I, that's, I think that's honestly, I mean, that's why we called our podcast Deconstruct. I love, love, love taking something that I once thought I understood and re-understanding it. Oh, um, it's the most fun. <laughs> it is so fun. It's just like it's like discovering 
I don't know, just like rewatching something over, but like in the best light and just, I don't know. It's, it's so fun to learn Mm -hmm. from people. And that's why I love having conversations with our guests who are much smarter than us (laughs) or have different life experiences. You guys are amazing. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's, it's so fun to, to learn from so many different people and so many different lives and, um, and their Mm -hmm. experiences and, um, their expertise. And I'm curious, I mean, if you, if you can or want to share on, you went on this walk with Jesse, um, and you were talking about (laughs) the app and like where it started and where it's going. And I'm curious Mm -hmm. if you have anything like in the works that you're, that you're able to, or wanting to share that that's, um, coming in the future for you or for the app or anything you're working on currently? <laughs> well, we're the guided meditations that someone very generously commented in about is something that we're working on. We're about to move house, actually. We live okay. in this tiny little two-bedroom. <laughs> There's five of us. Oh, oh dorm, goodness. So, but, um, yeah, yeah. We're currently living in our second living room, Jesse and I, because we just have too many children. <laughs> the bunk beds are piling up to the moon. <laughs> um, that's a terrible. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just not going to go down that rabbit hole. But we're about to move out, and um, we are going to create a space where we can do more recording because we want to do more guided meditations. We want to do more um, audio encouragement, mm. audio devotional. I find it's a really great, I love consuming media that way. Mm-hmm. I love putting my headphones in and going for a walk or sitting in the backyard in the sun and resting and closing my eyes and really absorbing something in to my, my heart and my body. So we're going to, we're working on a few different mediums and a few different things to facilitate that. Um, things like, you know, we might try a hand at podcasting, but definitely the guided meditations is, um, first and foremost in our mind for the app. But we're really wrestling to, this is so fresh as well in our head, <laughs> changing the language. I mean, we've been speaking so much about language, but changing the language about what it is that we do and what it is that we have to offer because we've always struggled with that word devotional because mm. it's so narrow. Yeah. Um, so just trying to play with, you know, what what we have, what people need and how to meet that need in the middle. So. Mm. I love it. I mean, reimagining yourself over and over. I mean, it it means you're growing. It means you're evolving and changing. And that always means there's life there. Yeah. And and that's what's, I mean, that's what's important. And and most inspiring too is where you you want your work and the things that you do to reflect your life and um, what's going on in your heart and in, you know, your, um, your family's life too. Actually, speaking yeah. of, you said you have kids and we have, we didn't even yeah. get a chance to get into that, which we won't, <laughs> I, I won't like completely divert the conversation, but just quickly, I'm curious for you, um, yeah. raising children, you're obviously raising them a little different than how you probably expected to raise children now deconstructed and with Jesse being yeah a spiritual atheist um, yeah. <laughs> is that has that been challenging for you guys or has just has it just been more um natural because you had them I don't did you have them after deconstruction or during deconstruction no well they were both very we have so we have three kids mm-hmm. we have two old we have an 11 year old a nine year old and a two year old mm-hmm. and um the 11 and the nine year old they were babies when we left church they were like four and two yeah 
So they, the whole thing has actually just been the biggest relief. I'll start there. The whole thing has been the biggest relief because I grew up a PK, grew up in Sunday school, and I just knew that I wanted a different experience for my kids, even when we were in church. And I mean, my mm. oldest son, he is a very sensory being, and we were in a mega style type of church with smoke machines and flashing lights, and that just he wigged out every Sunday, couldn't handle it, wow. you know. And I felt forced to force him into a pigeonhole that he was never going to fit into um, in a sensory in a sensory way, but not having your kids to believe something, to feel like they're going to be safe is the biggest load off. It's mm. so freeing. It's so good. And my kids are at completely different stages. So my nine-year-old daughter, she is like, um, she's a little bit, a little bit like me, very mystical, talks about God and mm. being connected and all that sort of stuff. My 11 year old is straight up atheist. <laughs> like, but it's beautiful. And I, I love providing space for them to figure it out on their own. And I think this, is, this could go down a whole other conversation um, as well. And I, I can imagine what time it is there for you guys. So we, <laughs> I don't want to be too late, but when you're not scared that your children are going to go to hell, because mm. I, I don't ascribe to a, like a literal hell. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid that my children are going to burn in eternity if they don't go to church on a Sunday and tick all the good Christian boxes. Oh, that's amazing. Then like, I'm free to let them, to let them figure it out. And I think my job as a parent is to help them know who they are in healthy and whole ways. And when they find themselves fractured and feeling like they're off course to know how to connect back into themselves, you know, it's just been the biggest load off. I can't describe it any other way. That's so cool. (laughs) I mean, it's just like you're, you're any of the hell that they experience here on earth, you're helping heal and you're helping identify rather than claiming it as some sort of struggle Spiritual that you have warfare. to have so that you can make it into the good book and get through the pearly gates and, and you're able yeah. to bring heaven and let it be exactly what it is. Well, exactly. And I think when you look at, when you deconstruct the scriptures, whenever they talked about heaven or hell, they weren't talking about places that you go when you die. No. They were talking about the realities that we create for ourselves here together. And that's, mm. the, that, that's the challenge. I think that's what spirituality is for. This is what I so ineloquently tried to say <laughs> before. <laughs> but um, this is the great struggle of humanity is to learn how to live well with each other, to make this earth a heaven for ourselves yeah. rather than continuing a hellish existence for people. And I think that's the work of politics. That's the work mm. meant to be the work of politics, religion, community, education systems, we're, we're meant to be creating heaven on earth yeah. Yeah. Um, rather than perpetuating systems of oppression and pain and trauma for people. And so when you can let go of that idea and, and you can actually do that for your kids, you can allow, you can help teach them what is heaven to you, what feels good to you, what feels like it's yours, what makes you come alive and how does it feel, you know, we often ask our kids when they do something wrong or they're struggling with an idea, we're like, how does this feel in your body right mm. now? What are you feeling in your gut? What are you feeling in your head? Like what emotions are you feeling? And teaching them how to embody their own selves and their own reactions to the world so that they can create 
um, health and vitality for themselves, which will then create health and vitality for others. Look, it's very utopian, but we're all about it. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're so here for it. We've had, um, we've had some recent comments asking for more uh, deconstructed parent tips. Um, yeah. You know, those with like younger kids and impressionable ages. And so you, that's why whenever you brought them up, I was like, honestly, we, I don't know why we didn't talk about this earlier, but I'm glad you shared what you did. Cause even that, mm. even in that it's comforting. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I can imagine that that's a, a comforting, um, reality that you get to, uh, you get to experience and you get to kind of share with other people. Yeah, it's it's been a huge thing for us, actually. I was um, having a conversation with my friend who's a psychotherapist the other day. We're having a bit of a session. And we're trying to get to the bottom of um, some things that are going on in my life. And we ended up talking about the fact that when I was a child, I felt the huge responsibility of saving the world from hell yeah. because we were a Bible-believing, God-fearing, Jesus-loving family. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing was about being saved so that you didn't burn alive. Yeah. And I didn't want to burn alive. And I didn't want other people to burn alive. But then the most surprising thing was that there were some people I wanted to burn alive. (laughs) (laughs) You had all of these traumatic experiences as a small child. And, um, you know, I want my children to feel connection, of course. Like, I don't think you can ever be agenda-free with things and people that you love because mm-hmm. the agenda is that you want them to be healthy and whole and happy. Um, right. And you have ideas about how they can get there. And it's you're always having to dial back your um, expectation of how they should do things. Mm. Um, I think that's helpful for, for children, but also it's helpful for just other human beings that are close to you, uh, whether it's family or friends or whoever. Um, I think it's, it's just, it's a good reminder that we think we have the right way to help people live out, live out their best life. But it's at the end of the day, our, our perfect way, (laughs) at least we think just holding space for people and, allowing them to be exactly who they are, where they are and loving them for their trajectory, which is, we talk about that a lot here on, on deconstruct, um, loving people for the potential of growth in them. Um, and I think that's something as a parent, it's something you probably think about every single day. You're like, Oh gosh, to think about the growth of them, their trajectory. Um, and I, I mean, I can only imagine the, the patience and the checking back in with yourself that you have to do, um, as a parent and as a writer. <laughs> yeah, look, it, it's true. But more, more often than not, you know, like, well, parenting, you can get, it's like anything in life. You just can get consumed with them behaving the right way. So you can do all the things that you feel like you need to do and that they need to do. And every now and then it's good just to remind yourself that life isn't a behavioral, yeah. um, you know, performance program. It, it's about showing up it's about healing and it's about becoming and it's going to be messy and imperfect um but that's where the beauty lies um amen yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> i feel like that's like a perfect little wrap-up you just said it's so perfect i'm like yes embodiment and that was like a total uh definition of what your work really reflects so um I think no, I think that's it. a perfect way to just wrap things up i'm so thankful that you uh, said yes to be 
on the podcast. I know that so many of our listeners are going to be so excited to find you and your work if they don't already know about it. Um, of course, I'll I'll link everything in the description of the episode um, and we'll tag you and all of that so everyone can find your accounts. Is Do you want us to tag your personal account uh, as well as your uh, the practice co? Yeah, sure. If okay. that works, yeah, that, that would be great. Absolutely. But, um, I just some people don't you. really promote their personal, so I didn't know if that's something you wanted. Um, but yes, I'll I'll make <laughs> no, sure I tag fine. it. I'll do it all um, down below and um, also in our in our posts. And to everyone listening, um, we thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. Um, we love you. And until next time, bye. bye.